0: essays twenty seven and twenty eight of the romance of the commonplace by gillette burgess this librivox recording is in the public domain essay twenty seven a pauper's monologue understand i am not one of those who are always longing to be rich i do very well ordinarily in the shadow of prosperity though there comes upon me periodically the lust for gold at which times the desire to rush down town and spend money indiscreetly must be obeyed it is a common symptom paupers tell me and carries with it its own remedy giving much the same relief that bloodletting did of old if so be the practice does not lead to a dangerous hemorrhage i have my ups and downs like most unsalaried bohemians thin purse thick purse at erratic intervals but my spendthrift appetite is curiously independent of these financial fluctuations in fact a miserly restraint is most likely to seize me when my pocket is full and i usually grow reckless when it has no silver lining there are few paupers among us who do not conceit themselves to be artists at spending money and believe the fit intelligence is most wanting in those who have the means i confess that i share their convictions having wasted much time in a study of the situation like those planning a foreign tour i have mapped out the golden road of opportunity and know the itinerary by heart and without trespassing the science of economy of which i am criminally ignorant having been somewhat prepossessed during my sophomore courses i submit there are active and passive categories into which coupon cutters may be relegated the symbol of your moneyed man is the cigar involving a destructive process whether applied to food raiment or ministry to the senses the greed of the collector is of the same flavor It is the difference between spending the money to see, and to stage, the play, that I mean. For why should an access of wealth so dull the brain that the battle between the kings of hearts and spades seems more interesting than the game with human knights and pawns? I have often been minded to write an open letter to millionaires, and offer myself as a master of their sports, to guide them through fields of untried sensation and novel enterprises i have my offers tabulated from an hundred dollars upward each involving the inception of activities whose ramifications would provide diversion for years there are twenty young men i know of in this town who are waiting for such a chance why should i not be elected to captain them i promise you the rise and fall of stocks shall not be more exciting than our rivalries indeed brains are for sale at absurd bargains today why not play them off against each other in a game of life? But these are dreams never to be realized. I am no promoter, and must play the beggar's part. Yet I have often wondered how I would be affected if these hopes came true, and if some capitalist, touched by my appeal, seeing this good seed cast upon barren ground, opening his heart and purse-springs, should present me with a modest fortune without conditions could i assume the responsibility of gratitude and fly with the load of obligation that i myself would assume by all rules of fiction no yet if my conscience were seduced i might frame my mind to accept debonairly and do my best tempt me not millionaires for this is my week of longing and my brain boils with adventurous desires yet had i the ear of the benefactor another mood would impel my renunciation for against my will and interest i am forced to acknowledge that others are better fitted to be rich than i who have been a pauper all my life and am not so unhappy in my misery i know some to whom wealth should come as a right as has their beauty and who play an inconsistent part upon the stage of poverty there is a dianami who knows the names of all the roses and can tell one etching from another she is so instinct with tact and taste that i feel quite unworthy of affluence until she has been served and there too is little sister who is in worse case having once ridden on high wheels and nestled against the padded comforts of life now charioted by street-cars with a motorman for a driver and a conductor for a footman and though it was her reverses that gave me chance to be her friend and discover her worth yet i fear i would put back my opportunity ten years to give her the little luxuries she craves she has acquired a relish for the flesh-pots poor little sister and somehow the weakness becomes her as the habit of weeping fitted the eighteenth-century ideals of women two more pairs of silk stockings would reinstate her as a lady complete Not that anybody but little sister and her laundress would ever see them, but they would give her a nourishing satisfaction that is of itself worth while. Yet again, I wonder, if little sister grew rich, what would become of me? I am told that the first pangs of the birth of fortune are felt in the unpleasant acquisition of new claimants to friendship, but I do not believe this is so. I should myself fear to intrude, I am sure there would be so many new relations and obligations that i could not take the friendship simply and naturally i could make love to her by letter perhaps but not in her carriage i would miss the ungloved hand of familiarity and enclose myself in starched formality though i know the pain in so doing would be mutual for the pride of riches is as nothing to the pride of poverty and i am very very poor but surely little sister must be rich again even if i have to wait for the second table and so i gracefully resign my claims to fortune where i am so outclassed and make off into the open fields toward the hills of fame where the brougham of opulence may not follow me though i fare afoot for we do not get rich in my family there is no uncle in patagonia whose death could benefit us and the bag of diamonds the hope of whose discovery sustained my immature youth no longer haunts my dreams for a long time yet i must deny myself the title of gentleman forced as i am to carry parcels over three inches square which i hear is the test of fashionable caste this is my last gasp i shall be a man again to-morrow and if any millionaire is tempted by this appeal he must make haste but i shall not be rung up from sleep to-night it is the law of society that spend helps save and save helps scrimp and scrimp helps starve Essay twenty-eight: a young man's fancy undoubtedly the most logical though perhaps the least interesting method of opening the discussion of a thesis is that employed by the skilful carver who dissects his duck according to the natural divisions of the subject and proceeds therewith analytically this is the system encouraged in academic courses and is said to enable anyone to write upon any subject but such an essay is mighty hard reading unless a writer is so hungry for his theme that he forgets his manners and falls to without ceremony the chances are that his efforts will receive scant attention and so i shyly speak of love so few essayists write with a good appetite and yet see how i restrain myself and perforce adopt the conventional procedure as one too proud to betray his ravening hunger i must be calm i must be polite and you shall know only by my forgetfulness of the salt and my attention to the bones of thought how the game interests me in speaking of love i must let my head guard my heart too for it is in the endeavour to misunderstand women that we pass our most delightful moments they will not permit men to be too sure of them and what you learn from one you must hide carefully from the next So I began my fencing with a great feint of awkwardness, like a master with a beginner, knowing well enough how likely to get into trouble is any one who pretends innocence. For a long time I believed it all a conspiracy of the novelists, and that love, so ideally depicted, was but a myth, kept alive by the craft to uh, furnish a backbone for literary sensation but there are undoubtedly many bigoted believers in the theory of love the women however who admit that it is a lost art complained piteously of the ineptitude of the other sex i confess that few men can satisfactorily acquit themselves of the ordeal of courtship without some tuition but once having acquired the rudiments of the profession it seems inconsistent to taunt them with the experiments of their apprenticeship it is too much to require a man to make a gallant wooing and then twit him with the promiscuousness by which he won his facility yet some doubtless have learned also to defend themselves against this last accusation it is the test of the past master for the other poor dolts who never see the opportunity for action however adroitly presented who speak when they should hold tongue, and leave undone all those things that they ought to have done. The girls marry them, to be sure, but most of the love-making is on the wrong side. There are more yawns than kisses. The brutal question satisfies the yacht, and he bungles through the engagement, breaking doggedly through the crust of the acquaintance, witless of the delightful perils of thin ice." and yet i think the subject might be mastered in four lessons with a good teacher so that a man of ordinary capacity could make a good way for himself this is by no means a new theory it is the foundation of many a comedy of errors this of love with a tutor but go not to school of a maid for she will fool you to the top of your bent nor to a married woman either but to a man like my younger brother here no lothario but one who can keep two steps ahead of any affair he enters if a man be agile and daring with sufficient ardour to assume the offensive having an audacious tongue and a wary eye with a fine sense of congruity and tact withal if he can make love with a laugh and a rhyme as cyrano fought then tis a different matter and he needs no pilot to take his sweetheart over the bar and into the port he must be bold but not too bold carry a big spread of canvas Luff, reef, and tack her with no shuffling, cast the lead on the run, keeping in soundings, and never lose headway when she comes about into a new mood. He must bear a sensitive hand at the tiller, keep her close up to the wind with no tremble in the leech of the sail, and gain advantage from every tide and cross-current. Better dash against the reef than run high and dry upon the shoal it is a pity is it not to dissect love in such a fashion i should have my hero quite at the mercy of the gale of passion and be swept forward he knows not how and cares not where he should lose his wits and take a mad delight in the fury of the storm seeing no spot upon his horizon and yet i dare not be warmer for some time i may decide to fall in love myself and i would not have my chances wrecked by any genuine confession of faith set in type to which she might refer with a beautiful taunt no it is better to phrase and verbalise the subject is too dear and near done to its death already i would but suggest the cross-references and under a mien of the most atrocious conceit throw my female readers off their guard, leaving my fellow-men to read between the lines. For I hear that men do fall in love with women, and women fall in love with loving. So be it. I have known girls, too, to take both vanilla and strawberry in their soda-water, which proves them to be not altogether simple in their tastes the best of them will talk volubly upon love in the abstract while the average man to which category i hope i have the honour of not belonging keeps his mouth closed on the matter with his tongue in his cheek and his ideas if he have any well hidden behind his words so, if I avail myself of the feminine franchise, it must be done cautiously, for many are the difficulties of the young man who would love a girl today, and only a precious few of the old school of beau would understand the twentieth century's subtleties, even if all could be explained. Many are the misfortunes in the lover's litany from which the modern maidens sighs, good lord, deliver us a man must take her in earnest but he must by no means take himself too seriously it is proper to treat your passion cavalierly indeed he jests at scars who has felt the most amorous darts nowadays but he must never make himself or her ridiculous he may take whimsical amusement in his own conquest but must beware of the little broken laugh that spoils a kiss and above all mind you the mise en scène the stage must be set so and so the sun must not see what the moon sees sometimes you must have your heart in your mouth and sometimes on your sleeve and oftener she must have it herself tis very perplexing the best a man can do in this practical age is to mean business while he is about it and hold over as much for the next day as will not interfere with his commerce elsewhere the woman may take her romance to bed or keep it warm in the oven against his return but he must be out and down town to earn his living as well as his loving amongst dollars and pounds and cent per cent while she enjoys the traffic in pure abstractions and both must hide and manage as it were a sin lest mrs grundy undo them they must snatch their kisses as it were on horseback such are the victims of super civilization there was a time the poets tell when it was not so difficult and a man might wear a lady's scarf on his sleeve and be proud of the badge it takes much more complicated machinery than that simple love to make the world go round nowadays perhaps because it goes so much faster there was a time when an elopement might be picturesque and not necessarily followed by divorce but where now shall i find the hard-hearted parent who shall justify the adventure the modern mother is too easy she is like mrs brown in the bab ballads a foolish weak but amiable old thing She reposes a trust in her daughter that does more credit to her affection than to her knowledge of human nature. But, woe! I believe I have forgotten my manners. I have insulted my fellows, guide the girls, and here I am on the high road to disqualifying myself with the more respectable generation. So I shall cease, but I will not apologize, for though I came to scoff, I shall not remain to pray." i believe i am not more than half wrong after all there is love and there is loving and if you have followed me you know which is which it was rosalind who said some cupid kills with arrows some with traps how she would smile and sneer at this verbiage she knew a lover from a philanderer she had her opinion of the laggard and the butterfly rover and she would no doubt say cupid hath clapped him on the shoulder But I'll warrant him heart whole. End of essay twenty eight.